Theorizing that primetime audiences were ready for a new time travel series, NBC and creator Donald Belisario debuted Quantum Leap on March 26, 1989. Starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, the series followed Dr. Sam Beckett for five seasons of time-hopping adventures, spawning novels, comics, and a fan base that has clamored for decades for a revival. Now, with Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett starring in a new version of the series that dangles just as many new threads as it does old ones, we'll ball the string up and explore the revival and the ways in which Quantum Leap has always entertained and inspired us here on... Oh boy... Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap Podcast. My name is Nate, and with me is a co-host we can all see and hear. It's Brian Martin. Hello, everybody! <laughs> <laughs> that was for Nate, because oh, I, I, I had a really low-energy intro on the, on the last one we did, so I thought I was going to really jazz it up this week. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. It'll make make things much easier in the editing stage. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, we're back from Christmas break. How was your holiday, sir? It was good. Some quality family time in there, inspired by the Leap Home, of course. Yes. How was yours? How was yours? How was your new year? Uh, well, honestly, the, uh, the better holiday, I think, was the new year, mm-hmm. because I binge-watched probably the best time travel show on television. Huh. Not not Quantum Leap. Not Quantum Leap. Paper Girls. Oh! Good for you. Have you seen the show? I've not seen all of it yet. We were talking a little bit before the show and how I have to be very deliberate about the time I spend doing anything. And If I read a comic, that's a show I can't watch or a video game I can't play. And so, no, I haven't gotten through Paper Girls, and I feel largely responsible for its premature cancellation but i've read the entire series and i absolutely loved it well see i'm gonna have to go to the comics because i just enjoyed the hell of that show yeah i mean it just top tier television my wife and i watched it in two nights wow yeah yeah like literally the new year new year's eve it's the first time i've stayed up past midnight for the holiday in years but it was for watching this television show Stephanie Folsom brought it to television, and it wasn't until I decided to talk about it tonight that I realized it was canceled. Aw, jeez. We assumed a second season was coming. I was all excited about this new show, and, uh, yeah. It was one of those quick cancellations. It was like a week later. I just, man, the streaming stuff, I just don't get it. Yeah, I know. Would Quantum Leap be getting a second season if it were a streaming show? Probably not. Well, if it was exclusively streaming, Exclusively a streaming show, it probably wouldn't. Unless it was exclusively streaming on Peacock, in which they'll be like, hey, give us what you got. Exactly. Well, I mean, Saved by the Bell didn't make it, right? (laughs) I mean, yeah, there you go. Did it? I don't know. I I don't even know. I think it made two seasons. Oh, okay. Well, they got... All right. So, Quantum uh, Leap's tied, Saved by the Bell, the new... What is it? Saved by the Bell? Was it the new generation, or was it... The next generation, the new Was it just called Saved by the Bell? I think... Honestly, Was it just called Saved? Because that would have been, like, you know, edgy and hip. <laughs> that would have been the hip way to go. Like, yeah. you know, like Bel Air. <laughs> have you seen Bel Air? I have not seen Bel Air. We've gone over this, Nate. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I don't get to watch TV, man. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> for anybody that is looking for a good time travel show, I would still recommend checking out Paper Girls. It was such a good watch. And I guess now I'll have to go back and read Brian K. Vaughn's series. Get the rest of the story that way. It probably reads better as a completed opus. Month to month, as you can imagine, it got a little bit hard to follow sometimes. Yeah. How time travel worked wasn't 100% clear by the end of the first season. But what was so great about it was the interactions between the girls and their future selves. Right. It was just so fascinating to basically frame this show around being able to see yourself in the future. You know, Brian K. Vaughn wrote for Lost for like one season. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the lessons he learned on that show, he applied to Paper Girls. Because I see thematically Lost and Paper Girls have a lot in common. It's not about the mechanic. It's not about how all of this works. 
because some of it is meant to be mystical and open to interpretation. It's about the interpersonal relationships and the connections these people make together. Yeah. And, yeah. and the problem with Lost was that the show deliberately hung so much of its early identity on all of these mysteries. Yeah. Oh, okay. So to, yeah. so to kind of, and even though, even though it was always about the interpersonal relationships too, the hook that got everybody coming back was what the hell is going on here? In fact, the last line of the second part of the pilot is guys, where are we? Right. And, right. and, and so it's like the show invites you to place emphasis on all the mysteries. I don't know if I can call it a misstep because that's what got the show a full run. Yeah. yeah. But it's definitely what made a certain percentage of the fan base of the show rebel against it at the end. Right. Well, I never watched Lost, but as far as Paper Girls goes, it was so fascinating to see yourself from this other perspective. It invites an introspective thought of how do I see myself now and what did I expect of myself? Yeah, it's a fun game because... Well, it's not all that fun if you... <laughs> right. <laughs> it causes all... you to examine some things. Some of the girls are happy with the way they turned out. Some of them are surprised by things that have happened. And some of them are just utterly depressed with where their lives went. Mm -hmm. And the examination of the process was just so fascinating to where the time travel war almost sort of took a back seat. Right. Again, it was sort of like Quantum Leap in that it seemed more like a drama than a sci-fi series. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's like a teen drama, really. And a good one. It's a shame that that show was canceled. When I say it's kind of fun, I mean, I think most people of imagination like to think about, if I could go back and tell myself at age 13 one thing, what would it be? Right. Right? This story, the show, the, the comic kind of inverts that. Right? It's not about going back and seeing yourself as you were. It's about moving forward and seeing how effed up everything became. Right. And how much you didn't live up to what you thought you were going to be when you were 13. Right. And that's a drama minefield right there. Like, I mean, what a great idea. The show does seem to go kind of back and forth, though. It, it is told a lot from the perspective of the paper girls, but there's enough emphasis placed on the older characters, too. They're as judgmental of their 12-year-old selves as the kids are of them. Like, look, you don't know me. Like, you can't judge me. You're 12 years old. You know, you don't know half yeah, right. the things that I know now. I'm lamenting the loss of what I feel like was a really great show. Brian K. Vaughn is just prolific. I mean, I was going to read off some of his bibliography, and it's just, it's insane. It'd be easier to list the things that he hasn't written. Most of, most of the comics you loved, and most of the shows you liked but didn't get a second season. Right. Brian K. Vaughn is on him, baby. And yeah, Why the Last Man is one that I read a lot of. That had been in and out of development hell forever in television yep. and movies, and I don't... Did it, it got like one it got season, made. right? It got, it got, it got made a season and, and got canceled. Yeah, like immediately. Two years ago. So yeah. it was like that and then Paper Girls. Yeah. And the, and the horrible thing is like, Brian K. Vaughn, like you were saying, prolific, extremely talented. But when you hear him talk, I don't know if you've ever heard Brian. I don't know that K. I have. Talk. Not only does he sound like Ray Romano, <laughs> but... <laughs> But he's like, eh, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of, uh, I kind of cross my fingers and hope the artist pulls it out at the end. That's you a know? really good Ray Romano. <laughs> you, you, you did a really It's also a halfway decent Brian K. Vaughn, I think. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. He looks like Lex Luthor. It's like Ray Romano played Lex Luthor in a movie. Yeah, yeah. You got. That's it. <laughs> at any rate, yeah, I digress. Yeah, we're almost... 15 minutes into a podcast about Quantum Leap, uh, which is, <laughs> surprise, a different time travel show than the one we've been talking about. A little banter here up at the top of the show, but uh, yeah, might as well get into it here. Who accepted the nudge this week, Brian? Uh, the date is April 24th, 1979. Ben has leaped into Jack Armstrong, get a load of that name, <laughs> a bodyguard because, of course, Jack Armstrong. <laughs> Brock McHuge Large. Uh, <laughs> he's a bodyguard for recording superstar Carly Farmer, who is being targeted for death by someone in her immediate circle. Who? We don't know. Ziggy has an idea. In the present day, Team Quantum Leap gets aggressive in their search for answers following Ben's admission that he started this whole thing to save Addison. Yes, to save Addison. From what? We don't know. 
and neither does Ben. Surprise, right. surprise. It was a line to get you to come back, and they're like, yeah, we don't, we don't know. And again, I think we're going to get a lot more of that this season because of the extensions. This would have been in the can by the time that announcement was made, though. I would. Oh, most definitely. So if the show hadn't gotten the 18-episode extension and we only had three episodes or four episodes left as of right now, then I bet this episode we just saw might have been a little different. You think maybe it went through some editing or something? Maybe Ben would have remembered a little bit more. I don't know. I don't know. I guess if you're not in the room, it's hard to know. I can say that I saw the title of this episode, Fellow Travelers, before I actually watched the show, and it got me really excited. Oh. Fellow Travelers. I thought we'd be talking about fellow leapers. or. or... There's definitely an implication. Yeah, yeah. But surprise, it's just the title of a song. Yes, and I was sorely disappointed by that. Oh, see, I didn't look at the title, so yeah. I didn't have that expectation coming into it. But even if I had... Were you sorely disappointed just the same? <laughs> even if I had... No, and here's why. Oh, because right. this episode opens, and very quickly, Deborah Ann Wall steps out of a car, and we find out that, oh, hey, this week's special guest is Karen Page herself, yes. Deborah Ann Wall. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, keep it coming, man. I was very excited to see her again. Yeah, I like her a lot. I know she was kind of going through some career struggles after that show was canceled, and she actually yeah. started this D&D campaign yes, yeah, online. This is what I love about Deborah Ann Wall. She's like uh, Joe Manganiello in that she's a talented actor who's also a huge nerd <laughs> and is not afraid to hide it. Yeah. I love it. I love it when these cats are like, you know, Sam Witwer being human. He plays Darth Maul in the Clone Wars, like co-wrote a book about D&D with his brother. Yeah. I love these guys. Yeah. Even Henry Cavill, you know, he's, what is it, God of War that he's into or what? what is his thing? I don't know. I, I'm having a hard time differentiating his <laughs> interests and hobbies from the roles he's supposed to play and then doesn't abruptly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's really hard to, to keep all that straight, but Henry yeah. Cavill is a nerd and maybe the finest example of what I call a daywalker. <laughs> a nerd with all of our strengths and none of our weaknesses when it comes to attractiveness. Hey, well, speak for yourself. Now, I um, I like Deborah Ann Walsh. That was a highlight from an episode that otherwise, it really feels like a retread of the formula that wasn't working. Yeah, the one area in which I feel like this made a slight improvement is that I don't think as much of an emphasis is placed on the present day. And when it is, like, say, Addison's scene with Ian, when Ian explains why he has an inherent distrust of things that are quote-unquote accepted as fact. Right. Like, moments like that I really, really liked. It was relevant to the plot in that moment. There was one scene in particular that stood out. I don't think we needed this, and it was Magic's scene with Addison. But I thought that the show tried to make this leap mostly about Ben's leap to varying effect. Yeah. It felt very rote, almost like paint by numbers. Because this is not the first time we've had a whodunit situation on Quantum Leap. In fact, this is like the third episode that I can think of where we had like a whodunit style mystery. Maybe fourth? The Halloween think... episode was certainly that way. The Halloween episode and the Bounty Hunter episode. We're both kind of... And they actually did a flashback to that Bounty Hunter episode. They did. Isn't that weird? In the original series of Quantum Leap, I can only think of two instances where we had flashbacks to previous leaps. One of them was Shock Theater. And right. I don't know if there were any literal flashbacks in that or if Sam just adopted personas that he had had in the past. I think the reflections of the characters were there. And then Mirror um, Image, speaking and of then that, mirror was the image. other one where he would see a character and be like, I know who that is. That's Captain Galaxy over there. And you would get that little flash of familiarity. This wasn't even creative, though. It was just like, hey, since you probably didn't see this episode. This wasn't him remembering. <laughs> it was Addison looking at us and being like, Hi, folks. Speaking of which, though, speaking of getting the audience up to speed, I don't know whether that's a product of this show still finding its audience and maybe people just joining in for the first time and needing a little bit of context. Well, welcome aboard if that's the case. Anybody that's picking up now, <laughs> take what I say with a grain of salt here because I am not going to be particularly friendly to this episode. <laughs> This episode did begin with a new prologue for the benefit of people who are just finding the show for the first time. And actually said, helping exactly. put right what once went wrong. It actually uses the line, trying to put right what once went wrong. And I was like, oh, there's 
the old mission statement. I feel but. like that one was probably just a recap situation. Previously, on Mannix. Yeah, <laughs> right. Last time on Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> and now, um, the conclusion. That was always my favorite part. Yeah, we, we get it. It's the top yeah. of the hour. We know there's a whole show coming after this. Uh, that's I right. don't know. Anyway, audiences have matured. Have they, though? <laughs> I don't know. We could probably talk about that with regards to the differences between a broadcast show and a streaming show because quantum leap is very much a broadcast show built for a broadcast audience, but it's struggling between the two. I think. Yeah. We've talked in the past about how this show pushes against the serialized format of quantum leap. Right. Right. And this week certainly continues that trend. It almost goes back to that trend. Yeah. Standby Ben. And then the Halloween episode, we spent practically the whole time with him I think I was starting to get a little spoiled by this time that was spent with Ben and the characters uh, in his leap. Uh, this one feels like we spent a lot of time in 2022 telling us absolutely nothing. Like, yes. we don't know anything more now than we did at the start of that episode, and a good 50% of it was spent trying to figure out parts of the mystery. Most of it was in the service and of delivering one breadcrumb. Yeah, One and it, single line that is a bread breadcrumb for what will come next. It all amounted to nothing, really. And the thing about it is, I am someone that loves slow burn stories. These people that complained about Marvel Netflix shows, every season has too many episodes, or it's so slow moving. And I'm like, no. Yeah, I think uh, like WandaVision was a great example of that. Right? Yes. Oh, I give, love WandaVision. It would like, give you from just beginning a to nugget. End. Just yeah. a nugget. And it was just enough to get you coming back. Yeah, WandaVision is for me peak of the MCU shows, I think. And Yeah, uh, I, I'm sorry, I brought so it up. So I remember when the Netflix shows were out, people were like, yeah, these are good, but they should be eight episodes long instead of 10 or, or yeah, 10 yeah. instead of 13 or whatever it was. There were so many complaints about things like that. Uh, you know, even a Stranger Things, you know, oh, it's so slow. The term yeah. slow is such a lazy and often short-sighted critique. Yes, yeah. It, it's just so overused by critics. Something slow. Oh, it's slow. No, you've probably just not given it the time that you need to be given it. Is that pace deliberate? Yes, exactly. If it's deliberate, there's a reason the story is being told that way, and I think you're missing some things. That being said, mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't seem to work when you're also telling vignettes. The leaps are short stories, if you will, right, that have beginnings and ends. And to put that together with, like you said, one little breadcrumb to the greater mystery spent half the episode, it becomes a distraction. Right. It's not an unraveling it's instead just kind of in the way when you're trying to finish another story. <laughs> well, I used the word deliberate a second ago, right? And yeah. the difference between a streaming show that is ordered for X number of episodes and all of them are going to drop at once versus a broadcast show where that number keeps fluctuating. If a show is successful, if it's not successful, it fluctuates, right? A streaming show can be deliberate in that process. Right. A broadcast show, they're like, okay, we've got six episodes to tell our story. Whoa, okay, now we got eight episodes. Whoa, 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 now we got 12. Now we got 18 episodes to tell this story. And you're trying yeah. to tell the same story, but now you got to stretch it out, right? And the question is, does this story have the tensile strength to withstand that stretching? And when the points where it's at its weakest, you get episodes like this, where the writers are like, well, I guess this gives us a chance to have Jen and Janice get together for drinks. Oh, God. <laughs> no, now, all right. Uh, I, I know I didn't want to bring her up, but there are. It's not even Jen. Jen's not even the biggest part of that. Uh, not to derail you here, but honestly, Jen is not necessarily the issue. I, I, what I, I watched this episode live, like uh -huh. with actual commercials and whatnot for the first time. I know, it's time. a weird experience. In yeah. fact, some of these commercials, I was like, commercial breaks didn't used to be this long. <laughs> I could have taken a shower and come back by now, and, and the show would still be a commercial break. And there are commercials on the screen while you're watching the show. Oh, yeah, that's always obnoxious. I was like, what? I did watch it also on the streamer. It wasn't necessarily Jen, but that whole scene was 
terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And to me, when I really thought about it, the dialogue was so uninspired. It feels like the person writing it only knows espionage and military from having seen that in television. It plays like a... We fed this bot thousands of hours oh, of God. of John Le Carré novels, and it wrote this screenplay. You know it's what I mean? So like that's, yeah, it it's feels very like it was generic by an, by an AI, with one major exception. And this is why I was like, I didn't want to bring her name up because I think this is the closest Jens come to outright sacrilege. That was maybe targeting us. Ah, uh, yes, I I think I know where you're going. Do you know what line I'm talking about? Uh, talking about Al's attire? Questionable fashion choices. Yeah. Or... That's out of line. I'm sorry, (laughs) Jen. That is out of line. Yeah. It's kind (laughs) of... It does kind of stab at your fan base a little bit. It's like they mention it as questionable attire rather than, you know, maybe the norm. That was the norm. That was... The way people were dressing. You know, we've had this conversation. Well, it was the future, so you had to have something glowing. Right. Like, you purposefully dress someone to stand out, and this is what the future looks like. And it's kind of silly, and we see it as silly now, but I always thought it was just going to be one of those things that they never addressed. And now what they're saying is like, oh, well, he was eccentric in his fashion choices. You know what it's like? You know what it's like? It's like the Klingon foreheads. (laughs) <laughs> it's like the Klingon foreheads moment in uh, Trials and Tribulations on DS9. Where we just Worf don't is like, talk about it. We don't it. talk about it. You know, like that, yeah. that's what it's like. It's like Quantum Leaps, we don't talk about it. Yeah, except they bring it up. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was just a comeback because she knows Jen's dad's gambling addiction somehow. Yeah. Like right. she, I feel like Jen just found out about it herself. I <laughs> was like, would you two just kiss? <laughs> that would have made the scene more I, interesting. I, yeah. I don't know it like I know what they were trying to do and they left at the right moment where like oh you're asking all the wrong questions and it is interesting the one little nugget is yes it's interesting why did Ben go to somebody else if they were all supposed to be a big team right that's the question for you and which of these people was he unable to trust and why right you know we're back to the 24 model the 2022 story has really followed a 24 style narrative in that now we've got a traitor or a mole to ferret out right and the options for who this mole or traitor might be are extremely limited yeah. Because unless they're going to introduce that guy who keeps all the dolls in his office <laughs> and make him like a major supporting character at some point, because I mean, that would be my first guess. Yeah. Then it's uh, got to be one of your four primary supports in 2022. Yeah. And who are you willing to, you know, the only one I'm really willing to lose in that regard is. <laughs> well, we, yeah, 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 of course. But now it would be weird if it was Jen now, because Jen, having gone to, where, where the hell does she go? Nicaragua or somewhere? Where the hell is it? Yeah, I don't know. Costa Rica? (laughs) When Ziggy populates the list of places she could have gone, she's like, that's where she went. That's where I would have gone. Belize. Is that what it was? I think it's Belize. So she goes to Belize, and now that she's gone and confronted her, I have maybe good news for you. I think in the narrative, Jen's the character who has to figure out who the traitor is and then get murdered by them. Before she can tell anybody else. That may be her function now. Because, again, I'm just following a 24-style narrative here. If somebody's going to figure it out and then get capped, it's going to be Jen. Yeah. But as far as who the most likely and the least likely candidate are, I think Magic's probably the most likely. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. I think the least likely, and yet the one I want to see the most, is Addison. Right. Because there's a big question mark there. What did Ben mean? Save her. You know, like we can interpret that a number of different ways. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I think not being able to fully trust Addison would be the most interesting route for this show to take. The person I think is most safe is Ian. Nobody's going to touch Ian. Ian is, to me, the the most indispensable part of this team. (laughs) That might just be to you. (laughs) I don't... But I... I mean, I like that character as well. But if they're doing a 24-style narrative, they're not doing it well. And the whole notion then... Well, there's no torture first. 
Well, that, I mean, okay. So <laughs> I mean, hey, doing... but next week, maybe next week. Let me show you some things I learned in Nam, Magic said. <laughs> oh, no, he's not the waterboarding type, remember? Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. It's, she specifically called out the fact that they won't torture her, but magic has ways of getting her to talk. Just standing in the room with her. I mean, you're magic, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly magic baby that's the other thing like she sits down and says i'm not here to arrest you i just had some questions well one aren't you most certainly there to arrest her for breaking into a military compound or facility maybe it's like stealing secrets when i say to my son look i just want to sit down and have a conversation and there's definitely a punishment coming right i mean she does get hauled off in handcuffs anyway so i guess she maybe was just lying and then they paid off her bodyguards she has bodyguards too for some it was so bizarre well i mean bodyguards they go to the highest bidder i guess but i was like man those guys flipped really quick yeah well we didn't even know they existed (laughs) (laughs) it's so messy she's got multiple compounds you know remember she was just living in that house and her basement was also like a secret hideaway. And then she had another one somewhere else where she was building an imaging chamber. And then she had to move it to Costa Rica or wherever she is now. And, and she's got bodyguards. But for some reason, she's doing this. Yeah, the suggestion continues to be that she has some sort of altruistic intent. Not that she's a gray character, but that she has some sort of good, righteous mission. Yeah, Magic right? says, well, maybe she's on our side. But... Again, she drugged her mother. Which Jen does mention in that scene when she offers her a drink. Right, uh, which brings up family. Like, nothing is so complicated that you would ever need to drug your mom if you're the good dad. You drugged your mom and your dad was a horrible dresser. Yeah. Yeah. That'll get her right on your side there, Jen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My concern with Janice is that we've made her so much of a mysterious boogeyman that the reality will never gel with all of the little tidbits we've got. The answer to why she has all these compounds or why she has bodyguards, like it'll never be fully justified once we find out what the hell she's doing. I agree with that. That's my big concern. Like we're throwing all these things at it. And when we finally get to the revelation, when everything is finally laid out, it'll be like, yeah, well, why did she need bodyguards? Or or why did this? Or why did that? Like, why did she have to operate in the shadows? I really hope I'm wrong. But I just feel like there are so many bones out there that they're never going to be able to get them. I think you're right. And it's an unfortunate thing. I think even the fact that she had multiple compounds could be just as likely that they had multiple sets. And they're like, oh, right. She only has to have another one because the old set was disassembled. Something of that nature. It just doesn't feel like the character needs any of those things. You were talking about it being a 24-style narrative. They haven't given us any seeds to ferret out any kind of mole. Yeah. I can't think of anything that would throw any suspicion on any of those characters if one of them is a mole. The very first season of 24, and again, the first season of 24 was another situation where they're kind of flying by the seat of their pants. And when you watch it, you can tell, okay, so they planned for 13 episodes and then they got extended... And then they had the back end of the story to kind of tell because they are kind of two separate narratives. They effectively wrap up the first 12 hours at the end of that 12th episode and then transfer the action to another group of malcontents to carry out the remainder of the season. And it works pretty well in season one of 24. But the second to last episode of that season, We're sitting there watching the second to last episode. You get to the end of it. The clock ticks to 11 p.m. You got one hour left. And then the ad for next week comes on. Next week, the explosive answer to the question, who is betraying Jack Bauer? And I was like, wait, is somebody betraying him? Because (laughs) the show hadn't necessarily laid a lot of groundwork for that up to that point. And I was like, wait, there's a there's a traitor now. And over the course of the next week, I kind of went back over things in my head, and I could narrow it down to one incident that happened around 7 o'clock p.m. in that (laughs) season that didn't have an explanation. And I was like, oh, well, maybe that's who it is. But again, it was something that seemed to be created late stage. Right? Okay. Okay. It's like the very last five episode stretch of this season. So you're saying that something could still come up. 
Uh, yes. And we could see one of these characters take a left turn that we weren't expecting. I'm saying maybe you got to hedge your bets when you don't know how many yeah. episodes you've got. And again, it goes back to the whole broadcast versus streaming and the certainty that comes like we were talking about paper girls mm -hmm. you guys got one season and then yeah. we canceled you but you got yeah. that whole season now broadcast it's like maybe you got a season maybe you don't let's see what you got we'll tell you in four months yeah and true. then like oh we true. give you three more episodes ah, how, how's another five sound and now you got a right. second season so I, right. I think that's why a lot of broadcast shows feel so uneven early on, or it takes so much time to find their footing, right? Because it's a thing that doesn't happen with a lot of prestige dramas, because networks like HBO and AMC will throw their weight behind a show and then decide to cancel it later on. It's not a matter of, do I extend this show for a full season or not? The seasons are what they are. Right. Right. Okay, so we can be apologetic about some of those things, I suppose, but... I mean, it doesn't make it doesn't for good television make, in the interim. Yeah, I was about to say, it doesn't make for a good watch. You right. know, it makes it just kind of irritating. And it, I, I keep coming back to this word distracting. Just as I would get into the storyline with Carly Farmer, they'd pull me back to a meaningless nothing conversation yeah. in 2022. Yep. And while I agree that the conversation between Addison and Magic seemed a little inane or superfluous, it did illustrate to me that the other conversations Addison had had with Jen did, did not necessarily need to be had. And it was like I was saying before, most of the scenes that Jen is in could be served by another character. And what yeah. is, that's slightly different, but she's getting the same kind of support network from Magic in this as she did Jen in a prior episode. And Again, you could see Magic show up on that island and sit down next to Janice and do that scene. Oh, sure. You know? Sure. I really do think that the writers see in Jen the sort of character that Ming-Na Wen from Book of Boba Fett, Mandalorian, right. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is known for playing, right? And they're like, we've got our Ming-Na Wen over here. It's very much cut from the same cloth. But I don't know anybody else who can do Ming-Na Wen. And we don't need that. This show doesn't this need This show that. doesn't need an enforcer. Like, no. You know. <laughs> right. As uninterested as I was in the story, it was almost insufferable to sit through. <laughs> I do like Quantum Leap, you guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, all right, but so this, epi this episode just didn't do... I like... And then, like I said, it basically distracted me from what I wanted to watch, which was this other Leap story. And Deborah Ann Wall is really the best thing that came out of this. Oh, Because well, yeah. even that storyline suffers from lack of time because we start going down a path to a resolution. And of course, it's supposed to be the red herring, but we only have Addison to come and tell us that. Right. You know, right. it's like Addison goes and finds out. Addison comes back and tells us this. Ben does a little more researching. Addison comes back and says, nope, it's this. And so that story also, I felt like, seemed a little disjointed. Again, I, maybe it had something to do with the way that I was viewing it with commercials and, and network. <laughs> I don't know. I, it felt like the boxing episode, but worse. Okay. Remember, it wasn't the boxing, the boxing yeah. episode, the one where they went to her house. It's like, I was kind of into this boxing thing, but kept getting interrupted by this dumb investigation that's like cut from the same cloth as every other NBC network show. It just feels like it fell back into that trap this week. Yeah. And I thought we'd grown out of this. Feels a little bit like a regression to me. Yeah, I can week. see that. And I felt largely the same way about the leap story. There were a couple things I really did like. Yeah. There. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Feed me. <laughs> <laughs> Other than Deborah Ann Wall, who, right. yes, I completely agree, she's the best thing in the episode. Really the best thing in any room she's in, probably. Seems like a delightful <laughs> person. One of the things I really loved was that this, the leap opens with uh, paparazzi flashes and Ben's kind of disoriented. The, the intro kind of goes very quickly from pulling up to a theater, limos into the theater, and Ben is sitting there in the empty auditorium listening to the sound check, and Addison shows up to talk with him about what he's there to do, and turns out he's there to save Carly, and she dies during the sound check, which is happening right now. Right. I thought that was great. 
like the yeah. urgency there. I was like, oh shit, you know, like I better get the fuck up there, you know? Yeah, right. They were both caught up in their own story and their conversation about their relationship and what he had done to her instead of being, you know, mindful of what was like right in front of them at that time. Yes. Yeah. That was good. And also at the very beginning when he leaps in and that he's less disoriented than he has been in the past. Yes. Yeah. He immediately knew this person is approaching this other person and I'm between them. I guess I'm supposed to be stopping this guy from approaching this woman, you know? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. He kind of almost he kind of immediately like, played the role of a bodyguard. Like, like situationally, it's like, oh, that's what I'm doing. I think a yeah, similar thing is happening in next week's episode, even though he's probably a little bit more reluctant about it. Right. But we'll right. get to that. I really did like the interactions between Carly and Ben. There was a moment that was very Sam Beckety when Carly goes in for a kiss and Ben turns away and he right. says things like, I'm sure I would be interested in that, but you've just experienced so much trauma that it's not the right time. You know, like he plays it off right. so well. And, and I thought the song she sang with her sister at the end was kind of nice. It had a real first aid kit kind of vibe to it. I really did enjoy that. And I, I thought it was sweet that Ben and Addison got a chance to just sit there and listen to them sing. Right. And then Ben leaps out in the middle of that. I like it when he is second-guessing Addison. Often giving people the benefit of the doubt in the same way that Sam would. The difference is that Sam had Ziggy as a foil, right? Ziggy would say, you're here to do this. And Sam would often go with his gut over the 82% chance that he was supposed to be doing this. Yes. Because the computer had it wrong. I'm dealing with too many data-limiting factors. Ben is very good at that same thing. You know, he's got Addison in his ear saying, tell her, no, you're not invited to this party. In this particular episode, the sister's at the door. and According to Ziggy, the sister is the one who kills Carly. Exactly, right. And he's going with his gut. He's reading people, getting a sense for how people feel and what their motivations must be. And can I trust this person? I feel like I can trust this person. Which I guess would be interesting if you take that into consideration with the 2022 storyline where he evidently didn't feel like there were people on his own team he could trust. Yeah. You know, if he's got a good sense for these types of things, and maybe there really is a mole. I didn't but he mean also to go back do, in that direction. But He also doesn't do a very good job of ferreting it out in 1979 either because true. as the story progresses, someone very much stands out as the most likely suspect. And that yes. is Trevor, who is, I guess, Carly's manager slash songwriter. So. Yeah. Got a songwriting partner. And he has been fabricating threatening letters from Carly's sister, Jamie, over the years to deliberately keep the two of them separated. Right. So he thus becomes the most likely candidate to have lured Jamie into this situation to subsequently frame her for Carly's murder. Right. And we all, well, I mean, Ben buys into it wholeheartedly. And then we later find out that, no, it, it's not him. It's actually somebody else. Right. And did you know who it was? I wouldn't say that I was surprised. I knew who it I... was. In fact, I wrote in my notes, as soon as we determined, oh, one of them is wrong, I said, my money is on the caddy blonde. <laughs> And it totally was the caddy blonde who in the very well, who first else scene was there, you know, yeah, that's you the have, thing. You don't have a lot of people to choose from. And right. let, me, let me assure you that Loretta, the caddy blonde, is barely a person to choose from. <laughs> She's got like two lines of dialogue spread across two scenes. She's yeah. really caddy in both of them. One of them towards Jamie. Mm -hmm. And I was like, OK, well, it's it's obviously her. Yeah. She's if the it's one not white him, girl. then who else is there? Yeah. <laughs> She's the one white girl in the backup singers. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, yeah. if there's somebody here who thinks that she should have Carly's place, it's probably the... The caddy the mean, blonde. It's probably the mean girl. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, it was. Yeah. That character felt like the first draft of this script didn't have her in it. It felt like the first draft of this script probably was just this story about a, a manager, songwriter, that came in between two sisters and then decided to off one of them in order to make the money. Yeah. And then they were like, well, we've telegraphed it and there's no red herring anywhere. 
that's the way it feels. I'd go a little bit farther and say they added the death mystery in completely because this is a plot that old Quantum Leap would not have tolerated. Like in, <laughs> like like an episode of original Quantum Leap, there would not have been a murder mystery to solve. It just would have right. been abusive manager, singer, and her ex-junkie sister. That would have been the extent of the story. And it would have been about the personal relationships among all of those characters. I think they did that one in the original series. They did. The one where he's a rock singer. He's- Glitter rock, right? Glitter rock, yeah. Yeah, Thank yeah you. They, they did, yeah. I feel like you're 100% right on that. I mean, it's not that they haven't done murder mysteries. They did do a murder mystery. 33% of our season has been murder mysteries or something to that effect so far. (laughs) Well, I mean, in the original series, you know, he he at least least had the one where he was a Humphrey Bogart lookalike. Oh, that was great. That was great. But yeah, I, I agree. It feels like they didn't give themselves enough time to do a murder mystery. The seeds you can plant, given... 25 to 30 minutes of television. You know, I can complain about Loretta's lack of characterization earlier in the episode, but where would you have done more of that? I can tell you where you could have done more of that. And that would have been during the scenes where you were off on a beach with, uh, with Jen and Janice. But the beach scene, just to go back to that for one second, the commercial break is right at a point where they say, well, you were doing really great until you asked that question when you're not asking the question that you should be asking. And she says, which is? And yeah. then that's the commercial break. And you know that conversation kept going, but it's all right. that they, that's all that they gave us. <laughs> and then when we come back to it, the conversation is in a completely different place. It's basically just sort of the yada, yada, yada from Seinfeld. <laughs> oh my <laughs> you, God, you're right. Know, it's like, oh, meanwhile... You know, like, clearly they continued to have the conversation. What the f*** did they talk about the it's whole one of time? Those things, it's one of those things that's used dramatically that is exclusively for the audience, but makes no yes. sense when you think about it. Yeah. Right? It, doesn't it, ser- work it serves in the... only the audience, but, like, if you <laughs> if you tried to apply any sort of, I don't know, conversational physics to it, <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work, yeah. It's just a cutaway, like a sledgehammer at the end of a scene. You know, like, right. oh, bump, bump, bump. And whatever. But do you think she was like, that's a really good question, I guess is what she said <laughs> next. It was like, oh, good point. Um, who do you think it is? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like she should have come away from Belize with a lot more information. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, yeah. I, I, again, I digress once again. We might get um, more info. I mean, we'll certainly get a little bit more info next week. We might get one nugget of info next week. So. Earlier in the season, I kind of had this notion that maybe they should frame this show a little more like Burn Notice or like the X-Files mythology episodes. And I really feel like this is a good example of why. I I don't know if it would work. I'm just theorizing, you know, like maybe you do a mythology episode where it's 99% the mystery and Ben has to hit a home run in the game. You know, sure, like, sure. I mean, Sam was literally getting a cat out of a tree in one of his leaps. It was like a half episode leap or whatever. Each story could be put on hold for the other one. And maybe you f- could tell this kind of story by delegating entire episodes to furthering that mystery and then step away from it for a while. Like X-Files was very good about doing Monster of the Week and then every two months or so you'd get one that had the smoking man in it yeah so if you did something like that maybe and you could drop some of these characters from series regular to recurring yeah the way janice is we don't need to see Jen every week we don't need to see magic every week there are weeks what we don't the show has already proven this right like magic wasn't in episode eight yeah exactly that seems like it could work i think it would require a heavier commitment to serialization and a, I don't want to say rejection, because that's a, that's a harsh word for it, but certainly more of a reluctance towards the streaming audience, right? And I think this is really trying to toe a line, and justifiably so, because evidently the streaming numbers are very good for this show. The broadcast numbers are good. 
it's kind of got its foot in both audiences, right? Like yeah. one foot in each audience. And I don't know how well a completely serialized show plays with a streaming crowd that's binge watching something now. You know what I mean? Like a show like this, where you're looking for that next clue, that next connective thing. I think that if this were just a week-to-week serialized show, I think that approach is probably the best approach for it. Whether it's the network or the showrunner's reluctance, I, I just feel like there's definitely, it feels like the show is trying to toe a line, like deliberately. Yeah. and uh, But I mean, there are already episodes where they don't do anything with the evil leapers or they don't do anything with the Janus storyline or, you sure. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like they, so they're already kind of, they're kind doing of doing that. It. Yeah. Like, I feel like they need to pick a camp, but I mean, I guess you're making a good point that if it's working on network and it's working for their fledgling streamer, then kudos to them. But I, yeah, to I don't me, think it, there would be an incentive to change the approach. Not that I'm disagreeing with you at all. Cause I think that is, really probably the best way to go about a show like this, but it kind of goes back to the root of what is the issue, quote-unquote, with this show? For what it's worth. And by issue, I think you and I are talking about what is it that separates this from the original Quantum Leap? Why is this show not meeting the potential of that? And it's really... That's how it started, but I think now I recognize that this is not trying to be Mm -hmm. Quantum Leap. I think it legitimately doesn't work for a viewing experience yeah yeah like it's not necessarily that oh why isn't it like my old show it's more like this was legitimately frustrating to watch but i think the roots are the same right like i think the roots are the same in that new quantum leap is about the characters in project quantum leap old quantum leap is about the characters sam meets that exemplifies the difference between these two shows and why this new one's frustrating to watch at times It's, it's that you know there's this constant tug of war where the show is tr- saying, here's some new characters for you to care about, but actually what you should be interested in is way over here. And yeah. it becomes very, very difficult to ascertain where the A plot and the B plots are, right? Like, which one of right. these is your A plot and which one is your B plot? Right, right. I mean, it sounds like we're kind of rehashing the conversations we had in episodes one, two, three of our of our podcast. And that's, here, that's the thing. I mean, like you say, it kind of feels like a step backward. I think that's why we're kind yeah. of talking like this now is because it, this one did feel like those earlier they, episodes. Just like the earlier episodes, they also did try to weave in some connective tissue in that they've given a relationship between Jack Armstrong and Carly Farmer having a very similar conflict that Addison and Ben have right. over trust and giving the potential victim agency. So you need to let Carly know that she's in danger because you didn't let me know that I'm in danger. You know, so right, you've got to put- trust her enough to protect herself. I did like that a lot. I did like that a lot. They do try to link the conflicts in a way that becomes thematic. Like in this particular episode, the theme is trust and teamwork. I see that they're trying to do that in in some ways it works. I'm glad that they're at least making that effort. I feel like in a greater story, we would have almost experienced the substance abuse problems that the sister was having. Right. Yeah. We're here. We just talk about them. We don't actually see any of it. And I know you've got restrictions and whatnot on a TV show, but this world of 1979 in this episode not feeling terribly fleshed out, there are only two locations where this episode takes place. Right. The theater and the Drake Hotel. Right. Which immediately I thought of, uh... They stamped it, didn't they? Those damn Gideons. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> they stamped it, didn't they? <laughs> Those damn Gideons. <laughs> yeah, that's the, uh, that's that's the only two settings we have in this whole episode, as far as 1979 is concerned. So we've got a hotel room <laughs> and then a stage. And it could be anywhere. It could be anywhere. It could be any time. The year, the place, they don't really matter that much. And I think it's cool that they keep getting these one-off performers that are so good. Deborah Ann Mold does a great job with what she's got. But I do think there is so much potential there for more, especially, like you were saying, with, with Jamie, to add to that drama. And if we even just took out the murder mystery aspect. Yeah. Think of how much more that gives the guy who played Trevor to work with and the girl who played Janie. Yeah, Jamie you're to so right. With. You know, like, all yeah. of a sudden, you've ratcheted up the drama here. And you give all of them a chance to have a moment in here like the moment 
where Carly is sort of defiantly telling Ben, all right, I'm not going to go for a walk, but we are going out. She gets this sort of emotional moment in there that the other characters don't necessarily get. Jamie's just kind of back and everything's okay. And here we go. We're off to the races. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. We didn't need there to be a mystery about who the killer was. I mean, it's basically glitter rock. As I travel in space and time, I want to stay, I want to go. You see my face, but it's not mine. You can see Lead with your characters. I guess that would be yeah. the one bit of advice that I would give this show. Lead with your characters, not with your... Your mystery boxes. Yeah, yeah. Don't leave with a mystery box. Quantum Leap's not a mystery box show. Even though yeah. you can have your mystery box. I'm, I'm, I'm allowing you to have your mystery box. Just maybe don't dip in every week. There's one thing I do want to bring up, too, because they mentioned it again. Can you explain to me why Ben has to build up momentum? <laughs> I mentioned that. I noted that, yeah. To get to the future. I mean, they've said this multiple times. But it's not like he's traveling fast. I can't like it's, picture. I don't all. understand. Yeah, it's a it's that golden triangle with the helix in it, you know. But right, it, like it doesn't. He's I. It they're not explaining clearly what that means. Right, that he's building up momentum. Well, he's just sitting there in a theater. <laughs> right. You know, it's the same thing as like trying to explain to my son that, yes, the earth is spinning, even though you can't feel it. Right. It, you know? it would be like, again, like, if he was going to the past, then like some point later and then farther into the past and then back into the future and then past to future, past to future. And, and that gulf was getting maybe wider leap to leap. Like, okay. maybe I could at least kind of headcanon this into some sort of understandable thing, but I need I need you to show me with string. I need you to show me with string. That's what I need. Yeah, something simple, like some kind of simple, The yeah. Momentum is like slingshot around the sun in a bird of prey. Maybe if the leaps got you shorter know, like, and shorter. Like, what if he had saved Carly when the scaffolding fell this week and then immediately leaped to a different leap? You know, what if he was, he got to the point where he was only in each situation for like one minute? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to represent this. What, how to represent what, if, what they're explaining to us? What if they just didn't use the word momentum? <laughs> right. I guess that would be the that would be the best thing. <laughs> the whole idea to the show, both shows, was that they're lost in time. Right. They don't control where they're going, and they don't know what situation they're going to be in each week. They don't. They don't so, control it until they do. Right. And so, I mean, but so does is Ben controlling his leaps? The same way Sam did. I'm presuming in my head canon that he is. I, yeah, I'm me assuming too. A, me too. I'm assuming there's a similar resolution at the end. But they at Project Quantum Leap continue to say that he has a trajectory and that he has a goal, that he's pinpointing a place that he's going to. But there's nothing in the string theory, as I understand Quantum Leap to work, that would suggest he has... A, any control over it, or B, if he had control, he couldn't just go straight there. Right. Why does he have to build up momentum? If there's anybody out there that has a way to explain this, you know? <laughs> Sam didn't have to build momentum to get to Beth, right? He just right. leaped to he Beth. He just went there. Yeah. Exactly. And you and I, we just watched The Leap Home Parts 1 and 2. Right. And if anything... Even when it's depressing, it's uplifting, right? Right. Even when you have the heavy emotion of the loss of the photographer, you know, she dies. At the end, there's still this uplifted moment. The emotion is uplifting. Like, the show is telling you things can be okay, you know? like like Yeah, you don't usually end an episode of Quantum Leap on a downer. Right, right. Almost never. And, <laughs> almost never, because the whole point is to make things better. His right. whole mission statement is to change things for the better and i missed that in this show and i feel like the uh episode what a disaster yes was a good example of in the end on what a disaster ben didn't save the family unit right he just fixed it as much as he could you he know fixed it as much as he could and then that kid went on to save 
countless lives with his redesigning of buildings to be sustainable during earthquakes. Right, yeah. I, again, understand that this show is not that show, but I do kind of miss just the good-natured effort that the character is putting in to make things better. The optimism. I could say I miss optimism a lot in our shows today. Yeah, in a lot of shows. That's right. Uh, Superman and Lois was a good example of like, they finally got Superman right. Right. A, a, a symbol of hope, you know, an uplifting character. People are some very kind of quick example. to believe. People are very quick to believe that, oh, Superman's boring. It's like, no, he's not boring. <laughs> like, everything doesn't have to be depressing. <laughs> yeah, if he's done right. And there's a void there, too, for for this type of character like in our stark reality that we've talked about before with our political parties and the tribal camps that we're all in when Picard was coming back I thought what better character to bring back to the television landscape now than Jean-Luc Picard a man of principle and leadership and example an inspiration an inspirational character. I said before before that show came out, and I said it on an episode of the Paprika podcast back before the show aired, I said, I don't think Jean-Luc Picard knows how much is riding on him right now. But I really <laughs> hope he does. Because Yeah, this and is turns out he didn't. He didn't, no. <laughs> they, that's a, I mean, that's a it great was... example of what I'm talking about, though. Because it's like you leaned into this sort of moody, pessimistic kind of perspective. You dystopian. Turn, you, dystopian. You, you turn Starfleet into kind of the villain. Yeah, that show is easily the show I hate the most. <laughs> because, you, because you're bringing so much in and you're like, whoa, yeah. whoa, what happened? You know? Yeah. 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 And in the context of this conversation, Quantum Leap has a very similar opportunity to lead by example and put something good out there. Yeah. And instead, we've got one that's... This is not a depressing show by any stretch. Oh, no. I don't mean to put, I don't mean to put that on it. But it's but got an edge. It's got it's, an it's edge got an and it's edge. got a mystery and, and it's got... Subversive characters and... and Something's nefarious is happening. Yes, there's a nefarious undercurrent through it. Exactly. And it's not just the bad guy getting their comeuffance each week. It can't just be it can't just be good things happening to people. Yeah, right? like, like it can't it can't just be a good guy out there. Even though folks ben that era Song, of te- that era of television is over. <laughs> the good guy just doing good things for the hell of an era of TV is over. Yeah. Feels like it. Uh even though Raymond Lee's Ben Song is a very likable character, very capable. Yes, of yes. telling that kind of story. And getting better you week know, to week. I, I think, I think yeah. like, he has been, and Addison too, honestly. The two of them have grown on me in ways that I didn't anticipate, given the pilot. Yeah. Like, I, I, yeah. I'm invested in those two right now. Yeah, I really like Raymond Lee as Ben. Like, you're always rooting for him. And, and he really does portray a character that has his heart in the right place all the time. Yeah. Which is the same thing that Sam always did. You can feel that they have their heart in the right place. And the only other note I have here is that the hand link is back. The hand link, yeah. And oh, and the other thing, speaking of the hand link, is that Addison had a moment where she faded in this week. Yeah, oh yeah, saw that too. Uh, and, and there was a noise. There was a noise yeah. and a fade in, and I was like, you kind of did it. All right. Okay, yeah, that's it's interesting give enough. Her, give her a know? thing. Giving her a visual way to enter and exit a scene. An auditory and a visual way to enter and exit a scene is critical. And they finally did it. So I was, yeah, I was like, okay, they good, did it. good. Good for them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they went through all the effort to get her that new old hand link that did all the screaming and and then it's just not there, not there anymore. anymore. And she's got her little saucer back. Yeah. Oh, well. It's just kind of weird. I don't know why they did that, but that was the last note I have. I feel like we kind of ran long on, maybe maybe, maybe I'll cut down some of the talking on the paper girls. We always do. <laughs> we, we always do. Oh, I think it's good. I think it's good. But anyway, next week, he's a, a doctor. Yeah, going to deliver a baby. Going to deliver a baby. Mazel tov. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, when in cyberspace... Be sure to reach out to us. We got an email address now, baby. You can contact us at this email address. Uh, we're at oboyqlpod at gmail.com. That's O-O-H. Boy, as in 
boy oh boy oh boy <laughs> and then qlpod at gmail.com you can email us there with any thoughts observations hate mail at this point i'll take any of it uh, there there, yeah. there is a point at which we will not allow hate mail anymore but i mean for now you know sure bring it on um <laughs> <laughs> we'll read it on the air <laughs> also also your name will be known also uh be sure to listen to other podcasts on the paprika podcast network currently we're going through a whole month of reviews of the mcu films our illustrious overlord seed has compiled <laughs> lists from i i want to say about 30 paprikans to aggregate them and figure out a definitive ranking of the mcu films and we're going from worst to best we we're about three days in right now we'll probably be about halfway through once this is in your ears but uh Give those reviews a listen. If you want to find mine, it's The Incredible Hulk. They're at dead last. <laughs> oh. 30. I agree. I don't think The Incredible Hulk is the worst MCU movie. Yeah. There's at least two when... worst movies in the MCU. Dark World. Oh, uh, that's it. That's it. Yep. And I think that's the worst one. Uh, yeah. Well, Dark World clocked in at number 29 and then thor one to yeah, thor one's like pretty thor low one. that should be pretty low anyway yeah. uh folks yeah let's <laughs> <laughs> we can start another podcast right now monday morning quarterbacking the pop <laughs> rankings for the mcu movies but we'll spare you uh until next time i'm brian and i'm nate and we'll be here in the waiting room 